0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. Church of the Well is a community practicing the way of Jesus and thirsting for the life he gives. Amen. Just to piggyback off of something that Abby shared about um, our Anglican friends, um, I think sometimes I I sneak away on, on these special services, these collaborative things that go to an Anglican church, and I think I'm becoming part Anglican. Um, I, I have a friend in town who's an, an, an Anglican, and he said, I'm going to convert you to be Anglican. I said, I think I'm part Anglican already. Um, uh, how, how many remember our friends Mark and Gail Pedersen? Yeah. They moved out to Seattle just a few weeks ago to be closer to family, and, and I spoke with them recently, and they found this little Anglican church that they're, they're really enjoying. And, and uh, Mark is, is not a... Um, uh, versed in liturgy per se, I'll say, but he's loving it. And so they give, they give their regards, so I just want to pass that along to you. Well, we've been in a, a, a sermon series where we're looking at the life of David, and we've been looking at some of the ways that God formed David and shaped David while David was waiting to become king. And today we're going to look at how David was formed by people on the margins, Specifically, we're going to look at how a ragtag motley crew of about 400 people found their way into David's life, and how David made room for them all, and how God used those people to shape and form David in a way that no one else could. And so we don't have time this morning to rehearse everything that we've covered to this point in our sermon series on David's life. We don't have time to rehearse everything leading up to this, but we're at the part in David's story where we find him on the run from King Saul, and King Saul's trying to kill him. And things have not turned out the way David had hoped, the way that he'd planned, um, Psalm 142, which was written by David, tells us about how David was feeling alone and how he was feeling misunderstood, how he couldn't find anyone who cared about him. And so David prays this this heartfelt prayer to God. And in Psalm 142, verse 4, David prayed this, "'I look for someone to come and help me, but no one gives me a passing thought.'" no one will help me. No one cares a bit what happens to me. And so that's a pretty blunt prayer, right? David is down. He's, it's the February of his soul. He's down and he's, he's like, no one cares about me, not even one person. Now we know actually this isn't true. What David's praying here is, is not factual because his friend Jonathan said that he would do anything for David right? And he has a good friend who cares about him. But how many of you know sometimes even when you have good friends, you can still feel, feel alone and misunderstood, right? Maybe you felt that before. And so God hears David's prayer. He hears David's cry here, and he answers David's prayer by bringing some people into his life, though maybe not the kind of people David anticipated. And in 1 Samuel chapter 22 is where we start this part of David's story. Verse one, says, so David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Soon his brothers and all his other relatives joined him there. So God's answering his prayer. His family's joining him in this cave that he's hiding out in. But at least he has his family now. But there's more. Verse two, then others began coming. Men who were in trouble or in debt or who were just discontented. That's a trio right there. In trouble, in debt, and discontented. These are the people that are finding David in the cave. Until David was the captain of about 400 men. And so here we find out in David's story that he prays for some friends who'll care about him. And God answers his prayer. He sends him some friends. The only problem is the people he sends them are distressed, they're in debt, and they're discontented. Probably not who David had in mind when he prayed the prayer in Psalm 142. Um, Probably wouldn't have handpicked these folks at this stage in his life because David was already distressed. He was already homeless living in a cave. He was already discontented. He didn't need more of what he already had. He needed some friends who were stable, who were solid, who were in a better place than he was. Right? If you've ever gone through something in your life and you're in some hardship, you're in some difficult, you're distressed, you're in debt, or you're discontented, you, you look for friends who aren't in worse shape than you. You look for friends who have things together so that you can lean on them. And so when David's praying this prayer in Psalm 142, God answers his prayer and he sends them these people. But David makes room for these people regardless. How many of you have ever seen? This might age myself, but how many of you have ever seen the, the Christmas classic, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer in the Island of Misfit Toys? Can you raise your hand so I can see how many other old souls are? Okay, there's quite a few old souls in our, in our church. Um, if you know this story, there's Rudolph who's a misfit himself, right, because of his red nose and everything. He can't join in any of the reindeer games, and so he's a misfit. He ends up on this remote island with all these misfit toys. These toys that nobody wants. And so there's a train with square wheels. There's a jack in the box named Charlie. And who wants to play with the Charlie in the box? Right? There's a a squirt gun that shoots jelly. There's a boat that that sinks. It can't float. There's a cowboy who rides an ostrich. These are the kind of people that God brought into David's life. They were malcontented misfits. That that nobody wanted, nobody had space for, and yet David makes room for them. And, And David probably wasn't thrilled about it. But God uses these people to shape and form David in a way that nobody else could have. And part of me likes that God answered David's prayer this way. That he brought David all of these people on the margins, these misfits, into his life. Because it assures me that there's room in God's kingdom for people like you and me. Because here's the thing. The kingdom of God is made up of misfits like you and me. Sometimes I feel like a train with square wheels. Can I make a confession to you? Um, I have a conference that I have to go to next month. We're part of a church network called Ecclesia. And I sit on the board of Ecclesia, so I really have to go to their conferences. And it's at Princeton next month, and sometimes when I go to those conferences, um, I I deal with imposter syndrome because I go to these conferences, and there's all these pastors, and they have their master's in divinity. They have PhDs. Some of them are authors and have written books. I have a theology degree, but it's a four-year bachelor degree, and I went around the back door to get it. Let let me explain what I mean by that. Um, I got a two-year business degree in New York, two-year business degree because I thought I was gonna go into music retail and worked in music retail for a while. Then I went out west to Portland, Oregon, and I studied theology, but I studied at a school that was non-accredited. Just a 400 student small school, this little church started. And in order to get my degree, I had to find a school that would take these non-accredited credits, transfer them to get my four-year, just bachelor degree in theology. And I found a school in Indiana did that. So when I go to this conference, and I sit on the board of this church, Pastor Network, and there's all these pastors, and they, they celebrate. And I have this pastor just wrote a book, and this one's just got his PhD. And, and I'm like, if they only knew. I'm this undereducated pastor, right? Um, a couple Sundays ago, we were setting up the sound system, and imposter syndrome can't came up in the conversation. I think it was Angie who was telling a story and how she felt imposter syndrome, and everyone was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we, we felt that before. And Abby overheard our conversation, and she came over and shared with us during our, like, pre-service prayer time that she has a friend who's an author. Her name, his name's Paul Pastor, and, and he said he's never met an imposter with imposter syndrome, <laughs> Which is to say, if you think you're one, you're probably not. And that made us feel so good. (laughs) But can I let you in on a secret? Let you in on a secret. Feeling inadequate is part of following Jesus. It just is. And you're thinking, wait, wait, no, no. Following Jesus makes us confident. It makes us, no. (laughs) Feeling inadequate is part of following Jesus. In fact, it was Jesus himself who taught. That the only way to enter God's kingdom is to first recognize our own inadequacy, right? That we can't get to God by ourselves on our own merits or on our own efforts. That the, the only way to enter the kingdom of heaven is to put our faith and trust and hope in Jesus. And so feeling inadequate is just part of the deal. And maybe you're here this morning and, and you, you have your own imposter syndrome going on. You're sitting in church, you know, we're singing worship songs, we're praying, we're, we're listening to scriptures, and, and, and inside you're thinking, man, I'm a wreck. Everyone else here has got it together, but I'm just sitting here and I'm a wreck. Guess what? It's part of the deal. Because to follow Jesus, we we have to constantly rely on Jesus. The book of Hebrews says this about Jesus, that he's the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the author and the finisher of our faith. We're constantly relying on Jesus, which means this, that you and I, we are all just hypocrites in transition. That's what we are. We're all misfits, we're all hypocrites in transition, we all deal with imposter syndrome, it's just part of following Jesus. We're enrolled in this slow transformation process, right, where we're slowly becoming like Jesus by being with Jesus, and it's a slow burn. So back to David's story here and why I find this part of his story so compelling. One, and I shared this already, it reassures me that there's room in God's kingdom for people like me. I don't have to have it all together. Jesus isn't going to banish me to the island of misfit toys. In fact, his church is made up of misfits like you and me. Two, another reason I I find this part of David's story uh, so compelling is it reminds me of Jesus' ministry. Because when you read the Gospels and you read about Jesus' life and ministry, Jesus was always making room in his life for the misfits and the marginalized, right? You read the Gospels and you find stories of him. He's with the sick and he's with the poor. He's with the destitute and the needy, the uneducated. He's with the broken, the lame, the lost, Right? He's with tax collectors, he's with prostitutes, he's hanging out with all the people on the margins who, who, are, who are misfit, who are broken, who are marginalized. In fact, Jesus once said this: that the healthy don't need a physician, the sick do. And I'm here for the sick, he said. And and I I'm I'm puzzled because I hear, I read those words of Jesus of, of, of how he He's the divine physician, and he's come for for the lost, the broken, the sick. And yet there are so many Christians who get offended by people who call Christianity a crutch. Not me. (laughs) I'm like, yep, bring it on. I I need a crutch. I'm in need of a divine physician who can heal me, who can make me whole. That's something I cannot do on myself. I can't do it alone. I can't do it by myself. I I have to rely on Christ, my righteousness, right? And I think that's why Jesus, when we read his life in his ministry, we read about it in the Gospels, I think that's why we always find them with the broken, with the marginalized, with the misfits so often because they were the ones who were willing to admit their inadequacy. They were the ones who were willing willing to admit their need for him. And Jesus didn't shy away from them. He made room for them. They, They were special to him. He met them Right where they were, even though he loved them way too much to leave them there, he met them where they were. And we see something similar unfold in David's story that each one of these distressed, in debt, and discontented people, these 400 that God brought into David's life, each one of them was special to David. In, in 2 Samuel chapter 23, we read a story that gives us an inside look at David's relationship with these people. These friends of his on the margins. And in Second Samuel 23, verse 13, it says this. Once during the harvest, when David was at the cave of Adullam, the Philistine army was camped in the valley of Rephium. The three who were among the 30, an elite group among David's fighting men, went down to meet him there. David was staying in that stronghold at the time, and a Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. Verse 15 David remarked longingly to his men, Oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem. So the three broke through the Philistine lines, drew some water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem, and brought it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, He poured it out as an offering to the Lord. The Lord forbid that I should drink this, he said. This water is as precious as the blood of these men who risked their lives to bring it to me. So David did not drink it. And so David just slips. He's thinking something in his mind. Oh, I wish I could have some nice cool water from the well in Bethlehem. And he has such a good friendship with these, these misfit people who found him that they break through the Philistine lines and risk their life to get him a cup of water. They bring it back to him, and he just pours it out on the ground. And if I'm those guys, I'm thinking, oh, okay, <laughs> I just risked my life for that, but okay. But, but, but David's doing that because he says, no, I can't, I, you're, you're not here to serve me like this. We're friends. We, we're, we're here for each other, and this, this means the world to me, and that's why I can't drink it. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been impacted by someone unexpectedly? In 2009, uh, I reached out to the Vermont Refugee Resettlement Program, which is now USCRI. Uh, Back then it was the VRRP. And they had a mentor program, a buddy program, where when they got a new American or a new refugee in town, um, uh, you would kind of adopt them as a friend for a year to get them settled, to get them acclimated, to to show them around, spend time with them. And so I signed up for that in 2009. And the person they gave me, his name was Armin, and he was from Myanmar, uh, formerly known as Burma. And it was February when I picked him up at the airport. It was probably 1130 at night, below zero that night. And I'm at the airport in the baggage claim here in Burlington, and Here comes Armin, and he has nothing but just a t-shirt on his back, a pair of ratty jeans, no baggage, no carry-on, nothing. Doesn't speak hardly any English. And I picked him up, brought him to a house in the North End where there were some other uh, Burmese folks who spoke his language and knew his culture, and and they were in a, a little apartment in the Old North End, and we walked up the stairs to this upstairs apartment, and the windows are all cracked, but they're taped together, and there's mattresses on the floor. There's about seven people living in this apartment. And, and I'm thinking, whoa, this is, this is like a, a, a rough place, but to Armin, it was a palace, right? Because he had actually lived previous to that, showing up at the airport in a refugee camp for 17 years in Turkey. He's in his mid-20s, so basically all he knew was living in a refugee camp. He had one surviving family member, it was his brother, who had left the camp a year previously and had gone to Nebraska. And so here he was, flying to Burlington, getting off the plane, going out into below zero weather which I, in a t-shirt, which I can't even imagine what that was like. We get to this place, and, and to him, he, he's, he's smiling because there's people who know his language. They've prepared some, some f- special food for him that he recognizes. And so every week, I would pick him up once or twice, and we would spend time together, and, and he was starting to learn English here, here and there a little bit. And one day, we were out buying clothes for him, and... Um, I asked him when the last time he spoke with his brother was, and he could just barely speak English. We did a lot of pointing and, and hand gestures back then uh, because we just didn't uh, speak each other's language. And, but he spoke enough English, and he communicated that he hadn't spoken to his brother in one year. And we went and got him this little pay-as-you-go phone. And I remember getting it all set up, and we got in the car, and he called his brother, and I don't know what he was saying because he was speaking in Burmese. But when he hung up, his, his eyes were just filled with tears. And I remember just being so impacted. Like, here's this guy, Armin, my friend Armin, who, who's on the margins, right? He, he, he is that misfit. No, there's no place for him. He was in a refugee camp for 17 years, and now he finds himself here. He hasn't spoken to his brother in a year. He's sleeping on a mattress in the corner of a room, and and, and, and there's so much perseverance and tenacity and, and gratitude for just having a pay as you go phone so he could speak to his brother. And I, I, I remember that moment being so impacted. And, and I only spent about eight months with him before he moved to Nebraska to be with his brother, um, had a few phone conversations. After that, and his English improved, and I haven't spoken with him in in a number of years. But I don't suppose I'll ever forget Armin. And and I share that story to say this. When we make room in our lives for friends on the margins, God has a way of using them to shape and form us in a way that nobody else could. And so I want to leave you with, with two things today. One is this, there is room for you in God's kingdom. We're all misfit, hypocrites in transition, suffering from imposter syndrome. You don't have to have it all together to follow Jesus. Jesus will meet you right where you are, even if he refuses to leave you there because he loves you too much. And as we make room in our life to be with Jesus, we slowly become more like Jesus. That's how it works. We make room in our lives for Jesus, to be with Jesus. We become more like Jesus. And here's the second thing I want to leave you with today. Maybe you find yourself today in a similar place as David, where you're feeling alone. You're feeling lonely. You're feeling a little misunderstood. Maybe you have good friends, but you still feel lonely at times. Here's my challenge for you today. Make some room in your life for the distressed, the indebted and the discontent. Pastor Erwin McManus says it this way: "People looking for friends rarely find any. But people who are looking to be a friend are usually overwhelmed with friendships. And that I know that sounds counterintuitive. Right, Because when, when we're a mess ourselves, when we're misfits, when we're on the margins, when we're broken, we're, we, we, we want to find friends to fill our friendship tank. Friends who are in a better place than us. Not in a, not in a more difficult place. Right, That's just instinctively what we, what we look for. But whenever we make room in our lives for friends on the margins, we also find Jesus there because that's where Jesus was time and time and time again with people on the margins, right? So who is that person for you? Who's the person in your life right now that is on the margin? Maybe you don't have that person in your life yet. You need to find one. You need to pray. God, bring like David, Psalm 142, God, bring people into my life to be my friends. And not just people who have it all together, but people like me who are misfits. People like me who are on the margins, just trying to, just trying to figure it out. Pray that prayer. God will answer it. Okay, can I pray for us? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... we come to you this morning and we admit that we're inadequate. Now, we might identify as Christians as as followers of Jesus, and yet so many times we fall short. And we begin to wonder to ourselves, like, are we cut out for this? Is is this, are we just failing miserably at this, and should we just give up? And Lord, I thank you so much for David's story here. Because it assures us that there's room in your kingdom for people like us. Who are broken, who are misfit, who are, are living on the margins sometimes, who feel imposter syndrome, who are hypocrites in transition. So Lord, thank you for that assurance. Lord, I pray for my friends here that um, feel lonely, feel misunderstood. And they might have great friends. Lord, they're, they're in that place that David was in, in the cave of Adullam, praying like, for friends. And you answered that prayer by bringing him friends who were also on the margins with him. God, I pray for all of my friends in this room today that you would uh, bring people to mind who are marginalized, who are pushed to the edges. There's no place for them. And God, would you give them the courage and, and the boldness they need to, to embrace those friends? And would you shape us and, and form us in a way that nobody else could through our friendship with these people that you brought into our lives? May we keep our eyes on you, Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith. Amen. Amen. You're listening to the official podcast of Church at the Well in Burlington, Vermont. For more information about Church at the Well, including gathering time and location, events, and how you can financially support the podcast, please visit us online at www.wellchurchvt.com.